Welcome to Off the Cuff with SDJ, a podcast about everyday life from the spiritual, the physical, and the metaphysical perspective. Each week, I'll bring you episodes that have a casual, laid-back, informal, and spontaneous look at this thing we call life. I'm Sunny Don Johnston. Now let's get started. Hey there, hey there, my friends. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Off the Cuff with SDJ. That is me, and we are here on a Monday. Come on in, friends, and say hello. Let me know how you're doing, where in the world you are joining me from, and let's get today's show started. I have a really special guest for you. I'm excited to share um, with you his journey, but come on in and let's get started first, and then I will introduce you to our guest for today's show. All right, good to see you guys. Hello, Jen. Hey, Mark. Hi, Moses. Hello, Sandy. Good to see you. Awesome. Come on in, friends. Say hello so we know that you can hear me, you can see me. We're good. Where are you joining us from? Let's check it out. Hey, Judy Judy. Hi, Cynthia. Hello, Cindy. Hi, Karen. Hi, Qualey. Hello, Trisha. Hello, Dana. Hi, Charlotte and Brooke and Kathy. Good to see all you beautiful souls. Considy and Mary, Australia, yay. Oh, I'm so glad you got your order, awesome. Hey Donna, good to see you friend. Scott from Australia, fantastic. Look at all you beautiful souls. All right guys, so I have a special guest for you today. So I um, wanted to uh, um, welcome you and wish you a happy Monday, first of all. Do y'all know it's two 22 today, 222, that's kind of an important number, kind of a cool day. Auspicious day could be a very good love day. Um, and I would just remind you to make sure you are paying attention to your thoughts today because whatever you got cooking up here, you're going to be creating out there, right? So 222 day, pretty cool. All right, friends. So, hey, we're going to get started. I have a um, great guest that I am excited to introduce you to. So let me bring him on and then I'll read you his bio and let you know a little more about him. All right, here we go. Hello, Jacob. Hi, Sonny. And hello, viewers. It's a pleasure to meet you all. Thank you for having me. You bet. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, Jacob. So I just want to share a little bit about um, your background before we get started and then we'll uh, we'll jump in. Okay. Sure. Okay, so Jacob, Jacob Cooper is a clinical social worker, a certified Reiki master, and a certified hypnotherapist who specializes in past life regression therapy, working privately with clients through his online services. Inspired by his near-death experience and transformative, transformative encounters, he facilitates spiritual awareness and empowerment through life-changing seminars. Currently, he resides and practices in Long Island, New York, He's the author of the new release, Life After Breath, published by Waterside Productions. Awesome, Jacob. All right, I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. My honor. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. All right, so first off, um, you got you, you got a lot of initials after your name, so you do, you've done a lot of things. You've taken a lot of courses. You've got a lot of knowledge. Tell me what your very favorite part of your work is. You know, I, within my work, you know, being versatile is very important. I see yeah. us 
as multidimensional beings with multidimensional needs. And so being able to help out people where their feet are at in any way that I possibly can, mm -hmm. and to be able to adapt to an evolving population, you know, keeps me going, keeps me hungry. And mm -hmm. so what I love about social work is the versatility of it. You know, let's yeah. say a client comes into my office, you know, their psychological needs are being met through the session, but their socioeconomic needs aren't being met. So we could talk into our blue in the face, but if not, they're not able to put food on the table or pay the bills, you know, right. it's very hard to meet them from their sure. basic needs not being met. So I think the versatility of what I offer is my favorite part yeah. know, from the ground up. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it, that's part of the work. What I love about my work too, is that I just get to meet people where they are and then help them based on the tools that I have. So I don't have to, uh, you know, it's not just the same thing every single day. I love that. I love oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you had a near death experience and I, um, know that our viewers, so we've had several, several um, conversations with Anita Morgiani, who endorsed your book. Um, and uh, so a lot of people are familiar, you know, back in the day when I was started doing this with a, you know, mid 80s is when I started discovering all this and nobody even knew what that was. But now most people do. But why don't you tell us about because I think your experience was was unique. So would you share with us about what your near death experience was, how it happened and how it impacted you? Yes, I find every single near-death experience to be unique, uh, but mine is a bit different. Most near-death experiencers are midlife. They work in some type of corporate job or something like this, and, you know, something happens, you know, and then they cross over. You know, there's a, a shakeup of consciousness. For me, I was born very early on in this life, and I had this experience at the age of three. Uh, and so that puts me at a very diametrically different position than most people. Yeah. Uh, at the time, I was three years old, and I had an upper respiratory, highly contagious uh, virus called pertussis, otherwise known as whooping cough. And so whooping cough for infants, children, or even some adults could be fatal if left untreated. Uh, as an infant, I went to a park, and I went with my family, friends, and when I went to the park, I was going up on a ladder to a slide, hence pun intended ladder and Jacob and all that stuff. <laughs> There's a lot of allegorical symbology of my near-death experience that hopefully we could you know, get into in a little bit. Uh, but literally, I suffocated um, due to whipping cough. And every part of my body began to shut down as if you're going to a power breaker in a house and just shut down one at a time. And the last part that I you know, was cognizant of was my brain. And uh, the short of this, you know, for, for time's sake, it's more extended, I think, in my book. But, you know, due to the deprivation of oxygen, I literally felt my brain just snap in half and crack in half, you know, due to uh, suffocation. And literally, once my brain cracked open, that's when, you know, God came in, as the saying would say. And when that happened, I had a lot of uh, you know, it's kind of symmetry of many near-death experiencers, including the tunnel-like experience, including um, experiences with um, loved ones on the other side, including experiences with what I best describe in human terms as God. Um, there was no time, space, or anything like that. Um, I also encountered my spiritual guides who literally pushed my body from the top of the slide down, and it was a male and female guide that I was clearly aware of. And um, in front of me lying, you know, on the ground, I was aware of the people that I went to the slide. 
and I was aware of my spiritual body, my physical body wasn't working. And it was the most frustrating sensation. I could really understand how souls feel when they cross over and they try to communicate us. They have a form that they keep mm -hmm. um, and they could speak to us, but we don't always see them. And so it, it was just very frustrating. And they were looking at my body, but not who I was. And from that point forward, sometimes in life that remained the same, that people were looking you know, at me, but not uh, directly in, in my soul. They were looking at my body, but not my soul. Uh, and so from that experience and seeing my body flatlined, I was able to see a sea of angels that was literally right in front of me. And these were angels that were kind of like childlike angels. They were brown and gold color. And literally they're out they were right in front of me, just floating in the in the air in this distance, just sending love and healing. And I almost just had to pinch myself at the time because I just thought I was making this up or this was this is such a different experience that I had up until those three years. Mm -hmm. uh, and then instantaneously my soul family came forward and uh they between my spiritual guides and soul family, they posed a question as to what I would do, you know, whether I would stay on the realm of the other side or would I, you know, go back and continue that life as as Jake. And I, I posed a question as to what would what was to happen if I were to continue with this lifetime? What would come of it? You know, why am I here, basically? And within that moment, I was uh, I traveled kind of like an, on, on a parallel universe of this planet, kind of like an overlaying energy field of this earth. And I was spanning from country to country instantaneously of different lifetimes that I lived. And I had different flashing imagery of different lifetimes and different uh, experiences you know, via my past lives. The most recent lifetime that I had was a life where I took my own life. And I instantaneously was shown different students that I taught in that life. And I just remembered getting emotional um, over seeing these students and you know, just understanding some of the parallels between the near-death experience and when I took my own life. And hopefully within the podcast, we can get into some of those parallels between the suicide and near-death experience. Mm -hmm. um, certainly my work as a psychotherapist, I work with that constantly. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I was drawn to an image of people that I was speaking to, you know, later in this lifetime. And I was able to see the crowd. And when I looked at the people, it wasn't that I was some pompous teacher that was better than, uh, you know, the participants, but rather I was a part of this collective healing message mm -hmm. of enlightening, enlightenment. And I saw that people were had a readiness and a, a receptivity uh, to to the messages that I had. And so, um, I viewed the afterlife as the most euphoric, climactical experience. It's not limited by the bio-neurochemistry of the body. There's no virtual limitation to eternity uh, within my experience, but as grand and as beautiful as that was, bringing the hereafter into the here now was something that I found to be even more beautiful or more sacred and in a unique window that I did not want to pass up. And so I decided you know, to stay, obviously, I wouldn't be here today talking with you guys if that wasn't the case. And it was all about choice. And after that choice, you know, the, my angels, spiritual guides, soul family members, you know, everyone slowly started to, dis to dissipate. And in a moment, I had a bit of doubt as to what the heck am I doing? Like, why did I do that? I had a bit of cold feet. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that moment, you know, my guides gave me a profound message, which is highlighted in Life After Breath, which is, you know, our thoughts are major highways. They are indeed our superpowers within our life. You know, each person has a path, 
but the higher the vibratory our thoughts are, the more reflective are within the path that we have, the more that we'll be able to be flow ready and in synchrony, synchronicity within our own unique sacred path. And so thoughts indeed become things. And that was the last message that I had. And I woke up in a hospital bed and you know, years later, my mother told me that I was so, um, to be blunt, angered, um, you know, because it was just such a traumatic experience, suffocating, as well as a di diametrically opposite experience of being in a hospital bed versus the other side. Mm -hmm. I had so much pent up emotion that I literally kicked the doctor who was mm -hmm. treating me, you know, with whipping cough. And uh, there was a lot of underlying trauma that I suppressed and repressed for over 20 years until I came out publicly uh, with my near-death experience. So I'm sure there are tons of questions. And I know just for time's sake, within Life After Breath, there there is a lot more detail of my NDE. But I'm sure one of the most questions is, is, is you are 30 years old. And so where is this experience coming from? Who's telling the story? Where is this coming from? So hopefully we could get into some of that. But if you have any intuitive, powerful questions or any other viewers listening have any questions you know, of the other side or my near-death experience, please, by all means, because I view myself as a continual student of life and my experience, and every day I'm always trying to learn more about it. Sure. Um, so, sure. yes. So I, I do have a couple questions. So I think please. that for a lot of people, when they're hearing you speak, and I understand it because I had my own near-death experience, so um, so I kind of understand part of, part of what happens here. I think we have all different recollection of it, but you sound as you share it you have a, a, an awareness of as an adult almost it's like you had this comprehension and i think that what a lot of people miss and i'd love to hear your feedback on this but what i think a lot of people misunderstand is that we're not an age in the soul in, in on, a, right. on a soul level we're not three like you're three and so people are like wait how would he understand that at three but you're not three, you're a soul that's lived and had all this experience. And so I wondered if you could just speak to that, because I know for me that absolutely working with people, that has been so important to create the discernment for people so they understand. So when people ask you that, because I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that, what, how do you respond and what do you believe was happening there? Yes, there are, there are people who are chronologically very old, but very young, and people who are very young chronologically but their spirit is very old. Mm -hmm. What I would say is this was an internal direct experience of the soul. It wasn't an experience of my chronological age, but a direct experience of my soul. And so what I, what I would say is who we are and how we present ourselves to the world is the external portrayal of that. Mm -hmm. It takes some time and acclimation between the guitar player and the guitar to get used to each other within this body, you know, within this instrument. And so that takes some time. Mm -hmm. And so just because we're not expressing it or saying it as infants or children does not mean that there's a whole other underlying processing that happens. And so I look at the soul as a sacred observer of life. To me, it doesn't merely change it that, you know, it's beyond the surface. It evolves through this lifetime and integrates. But at the end of the day, I almost view you know, this experience as, as, as a deep water of my, my soul experience. It wasn't an experience of my three-year-old body. Right. In some ways it was because I still had some attachments as to what my parents would think if I were to pass away. And so it, just the attachment to that lifetime that I had. But beyond that, 
I was aware of the book far surpassed the one page that I was on in this temporary body. And I was aware of much more chapters and mm-hmm. endless pages that went far beyond this. So this was an experience of the soul. Yeah. Um, and so from losing my body, I was able to find my soul. From losing myself, I was able to find myself. Mm-hmm. And isn't that how it works a lot of times in, li- in life as well? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that's from, from my experience and the feedback that I've gotten from others. Uh, it, it's That's the best way that we can explain it in, in words because it's hard to find words to match uh, the experience of, of a lot of the spiritual experiences. Um, that's what you have to remember, friends, is that it isn't a three-year-old that is using these words and having this memory. This is a soul that's evolved and expanded and has all this wisdom and knowledge that is then being channeled through this three-year-old. So so here's a question for you. Do you, do you believe that that experience... And then I'm sure that changed who you were, um, even as a three-year-old. So your mother said, you know, you had a lot of anger. And so then you had to do a bunch of processing and things like that. Do you believe that that puts you on the trajectory of being the um, licensed counselor and doing the work that you do and the Reiki and the hypnotherapy? Do you think that that was um, uh, going into the depths of that was what started that for you? Yes. You know, for many years, I kind of pushed down my near-death experience in order to basically survive in this lifetime and a a life that valued, you know, the left analytical brain versus the beingness of who we truly are was something I had to acclimate to. So in order to survive, I needed to bury that down for almost 20 years. But there came a point where I couldn't put that beach ball under the water at a certain point that just had to pop up. And so in order to thrive, I had to do that. And so what I wanted to do is to give back everything that I was given to in moments of um, intense suffering of suffocation. In moments when I had nothing, I experienced the the awareness that I had everything inside of myself, mm-hmm. from angels to the euphoric elements of understanding God, and even a Christ consciousness that I speak more in my book. Bear in mind, I was brought up in a traditional Jewish Orthodox home. Jesus was born a Jew. I can't say he ever died a Jew. No one ever dies. But, um, you know, I wasn't educated in my own home. But I would say the reasons why I made this book in this times and why I titled it Life After Breath is, you know, there's so many parallels between my what happened to me at that time and what's happening in the world today where people are feeling fatigued or literally out of breath or suffocated on a literal or figurative, you know, matter of fact. And so what do we do when um, impermanence of the body is really intensified in front of us? And so for myself, my goal is to give back everyone, everything that I was given in those moments of losing everything. And I view that no experience has any uh, value if we hold on to it. The ultimate value is the ripple effect that we have, the music that we that continues to play after our body leaves this world. So I've learned that it, it is in the giving. Once you identify yourself as a soul, the ultimate part that we can identify the soul is within service. And so that's what I tried to do within my lifetime, trying the best I can to do. Sure, sure. So as, as, um, as a young man, that was um, what, what I heard you say. You have better words than I use. But what I heard you say is I just wanted to fit in and be normal and be like everybody else for a while because that's what I needed to do to do that. 
And then, um, and then you discover that, okay, wait, that, that doesn't actually fit for my soul, for my journey, for my expansion. And it's kind of like, we got to come out of the closet and do, you know, do what it is that we really um, know we need to do. So did you have <clears throat> the support of your family when you walked through that? Or was, was there any resistance with that within them of, Oh, you're going to share about this whole thing that, you know, like sometimes our family members can think, yeah, that's just a little three-year-old making stuff up. And um, so did you have support or, or was there some resistance there? Within my biological family, I, I separated church and state, no pun intended. I really, uh, from that NDE period, I had a, a, an acute awareness that no one would be able to really understand my experience, even if I tried. And so I didn't even bother. Mm. And that was a very hard thought, where in a sense that as a child, you put your mother or father on a pedestal mm -hmm. of all knowing, and then that's taken away from you, that, that awareness that they're just people and they're your biological parents, they're your parents in a way, but they're not the ultimate right. pedestal that we put them on. Mm -hmm. And so for me, at least, that was a very, a very difficult pill to swallow at the age, and it's not a knock. Um, and so I was mentored by a lot of people within my own backyard that I didn't expect to be able to be interested in this stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of them was kind of like my aunt. And I view angels as, yes, they are all around us, in front of us all the time, but there are angels that come in human form. And I've had so many of them from different intuitives that I speak about in Life After Breath to different family members. Mm -hmm. uh, the ultimate angel that I encountered was through a book. Um, the author's name is Betty Aidy, um, and she wrote the bestseller, Embraced by the Light. At the time, I thought this was this cool mystical experience that I just buried. And there were so many annoyances with it, you know, that, that came from it, you know, the trauma, the hidden intuition, the interdimensional communication that I had as a young child. But for the first time, I had a label and a lexicon and a vocabulary for what I had. And so reading Betty's book gave me universality behind the experience. And that gave me all the confidence in the world um, to, uh, to, 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 to go out there. I think if you could name it, you could certainly tame it in a way. And sure. that's what happened to me. And so your your aunt um, introduced you to that book. Was she the introduction to that book for you? It was my godmother actually <clears throat> who uh, introduced me to that book, and her signature and her name is still there. And when she got the book in the mid '90s, when it came out, it's still there. And she's mentioned in my book. Uh, but my aunt was was quite profound, uh, particularly when it came to souls' messages. When she was about to die, as many people do when they're about to to go, they had these lucid visions and. You know, the arms are stretched out from the other side and about to cross over. And she said, if you ever look at a family picture, there's a soul family connectivity, each individual family member. The physical body might look different, but if you look at the depths of the eyes of each member, there's something there. There's something very deep. And at the time, I'm like, all right, cool message. Unfortunately, she passed away. And then I'm sitting in a, in a mediumistic reading, and she goes, I'm connecting to your aunt. She keeps on telling me the word picture, picture, picture. What is that about? And so that was validation of the soul family and the eternal connectivity that we have that goes far beyond this body in this limited linear world. Mm -hmm. So it was validated. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So so as so you're you're young to have um, not only to have had a near death experience and had conscious awareness of it, but also to then bring it around, start talking about it, share about it, write a book about it, um, all of that. So what 
what do you feel like your the purpose of that was? Now, I understand on a on a personal level, like I think we've talked about that, but talk a little bit on a, a, a more macro level, more like macro basis. Yeah. yeah, I think right now the whole world is going through a near death experience mm-hmm. um, in many levels, in a sense that impermanence of the body is being intensified and just the reality that what I experienced, you know, 25 plus years ago, that at any moment, any given moment, this body could shut down. Mm-hmm. And we, we least expect it. I mean, obviously, a year ago, who would have thought that Kobe Bryant, right in the prime of his life with Gian and the other seven passengers, almost a year ago today would be taken. And so in a sense that the significance of not leaving anything in the tank, I think being able to identify ourselves with the deeper angle. When we start to identify ourselves with the body, we want more physical, tangible things. And that's the vantage point in our worldview that we have. You know, once we start with the soul, it's the ultimate connectivity point of service and and finding ways to unify, finding ways to heal. It's not so much in this, you know, taking and separating, you know, you know, being better than one person and putting the other person down on the ladder. Mm-hmm. But in a way, when the me works with the we, that's when we really work. I think one of the greater lessons is the value of uh, being able to challenge worldviews. You know, I think ultimately when we're comfortable, <clears throat> we don't question uh, things. We don't start to think at things a little bit differently, right? When we're, you know, tanning on the beach and wherever in Malibu or whatever, you know, we're, we're pretty cool. But once we have the shakeup period, with any almost enlightening experience, you know, from that period, we can never look at life the same. And I think in a way, my near-death experience and why I wrote it uh, in this time was to speak to the times, was for people to understand on a macro level that from losing something, we could be able to find something even new, something even different than we didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And when our breath is taken from us, that doesn't mean that it's taken eternally. There's a whole eternal breath that we connect to. And the, the realization that we are eternal, infinite beings is something to bear in mind. Yeah. Um, and so I think my near-death experience told me that this wasn't a human thing, but this was a spiritual thing. Yeah. And I think we reserve that and monopolize that for a select few, but it's ingrained in all of us. That's where we come from. We are the eternal wind of God in us. And when that wind of God was taken from the bo- my body, I was cognizant of the wind of God, of the spirit that I was forever connected to, that no one could take from me. And so with this upper respiratory thing going on, I think very much is about the crown energy center, but also this new breath that we could infuse, the breath of spirit, whereas they say in the Hebrew language, ruach, the wind of God that we connect to. So I think hopefully that makes some degree of sense. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It makes sense. And I think that, I think it's very true that part of, you know, when, when, when we, I think most of us that have had experiences that didn't, fit the narrative that we grew up in, whatever that happened to be. For you, it was, you know, being raised in an Orthodox, traditional Jewish family. For me, it was being raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, surrounded with uh, the Mormon religion and not not being a part of that. And, um, and so challenging um, those views, not just because we want to be difficult, but because we have an experience that says something different than mm-hmm. what we're, we're seeing around us. And that's not always easy. It's not always easy to do, but it's to me, it feels like it, it, it gave me I didn't understand at the time, but it gave me purpose 
not because I felt like I was against that, although when I was a teenager, I did, um, but because I feel like it's expanding our our worldview, our perspective. And if we can open up to that spirit connection that you were talking about, not not rely so much on just the physical aspects of us, we have more joy, more ease, more peace, more harmony, more expansion, more uh, more depth in relationships. And and that's such a gift. So for you in in um, in in that awareness of kind of uh, expanding our worldview. So you've written a book that is to help expand our view. So tell us a little bit about it. So it's called Life After Breath, which I love the name. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I put in words in Life After Death. And, mm-hmm. and also in homage to Dr. Raymond Moody, who coined the term, you know, life, uh, coined the term near-death experience and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like a play on words with his Life After Life 75 best-selling book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, my book is in a way um, – not just a near-death experience book. Um, and the reason why I did that was not, you know, it's, it's, there's a memoir component and I didn't do that for, you know, self-grandizing or pat on the back kind of way. I did that in a way because um, I think when people hear, hear near-death experience or speak, there, there's a spirituality, but there's no practicality behind it. They're not able to really relate to it as much. And it's almost kind of like near-death experiencers, psychics, mediums, all these people are put on the other category. And so people, in a way, are very disempowered, you know, at times when the HERA and ND are come out. And so I got very personal, and I got very much into the human part. Because in a way, I think the human part and going into the depths of struggle and finite consciousness, finite awareness really is empowering to other people to open up their greater gifts. And so I, I didn't never wanted people to be defined by my story, just as I've never been defined by Betty's story or Anita's story. And that's not, not a, that's not a knock on them. But I think in a way, when you tell your story, there's a bit of amnesia that comes with it. And ultimately, the goal is for people to open up their sacred eternal stories and to look at life a little bit differently, but to be empowered and not disempowered, which comes with, you know, other belief systems. But it's funny how we just come from, you know, in a way that traditional neck of the woods, and it's almost kind of like the Piscean age in the um, age of Iranian Aquarius age, where instead of truth that is in the held of a group or someone else, we understand now in this time that truth is within our own backyard. And I think NDEers are just one of the many different steps up the mountain to really just kind of um, express that truth and notion. Sure, sure. So, so um, where can they? So, your book is it available all over on Amazon on your website? And mm-hmm. let them know your website so people that are interested can go and check it out. Jacob. Yeah. So my website is jacoblcooper.com. Uh, jacoblcooper.com, and there you could find my book. There's a whole two-bar section of my book, Life After Breath. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, I believe Walmart Online, a couple other places. So, you know, we're very uh, versatile with where you could purchase it. And if you are interested in other, you know, more private services or following me with my m- monthly event, I am having a 7 p.m. Facebook Live tonight on my Facebook page. You could check out on ways to own your inspired story because um, I firmly think that, it's very important to be empowered and to be able to tell our stories. And I'm sure you could attest to this, that the ultimate regret that loved ones on their side have is trying to satisfy people around them and not being able to take ownership of what's inside of them and being afraid of how people might react. And mm-hmm. 
I think when you understand yourself as eternity, the impermanent viewpoints that other people have just go by the wayside. It right. Doesn't mean Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. So go to actually one gal just said, just bought it. Excited to read it. So go go check it out if if uh, if you feel guided to and go check out his Facebook live tonight and you can learn a little bit more about him. All right. So Jacob, I always like to do this is called off the cuff. It's off the cuff for a reason. Um, so I like to ask you some just off the cuff questions that have nothing yeah. to do with uh, what you do for a living. All right. <laughs> okay. First question is, what was your first job? Jeez. Um, my first job, like actual job was probably a camp counselor. I had a rifle of an arm and unfortunately I probably pegged a little bit too many kids in dodgeball and I took a little bit advantage of that. So probably a camp counselor at a, at a, at a college that I had. Um, and I think my biggest accomplishment was getting a pretty nice suntan. Within All right. Day. That's great. Yeah. That's so. perfect. <laughs> All right. Okay. If you um, could go anywhere in the world right now, which I don't know about you, but I am waiting to go somewhere. If you could go anywhere in the world, what is your like dream vacation, your dream place to go? Where do you want to go? That's a really good question. Other than the other side, which is otherworldly. Right. Um, I would say first thing that comes to my mind is just uh, India for some odd reason. That's just my first answer that popped up when you asked in my head. I've always wanted to travel there, but to go, you know, to the safe places. But, you know, some monastery in India and just kind of taking the sacred incense and just the high energy, I think that's always a place that I've wanted to visit, you know. Beautiful, beautiful. I think that's a common one for a lot of people, especially that feel a a strong um, spiritual connection. There's there's something about that. So, okay. Um, if you were going to have a billboard mm-hmm. that you could place anywhere in the world, where would it be and what would it say? Well, I'd ask them to make my nose look a little bit smaller on the billboard so it could fit on. But um, um, my billboard would say, what's inside of you is infinitely greater than the challenges in front of you. Mm. Um, you know, and that's the biggest lesson that I learned from my near-death experience that, and in reality, what we have to fear the most uh, is impermanence and it has no weight. And what we give power to obviously grows, but ultimately the clear notion that we can never die, we can never be hurt. We're, you know, beautiful divine beings. That, and I think people reminding themselves in the face of challenges, oftentimes, you know, when the snow is out there, we go into four-wheel drive, and within challenges at times, you go into deeper gears that we wouldn't have you know, had the road been a little bit smoother. So. For sure. For sure we do that. That is absolutely true. <laughs> um, all right. When you think about one person that inspires you, and I know you probably have lots of people that have inspired you, but if you're going to choose one person that really inspires you, who would that be and why? That's, that's a really good question. I can't say a political figure because we're on Facebook Live. Um, I really would say the first person that comes to mind is Dr. Wayne Dyer. Mm. Um, you know, Wayne obviously, you know, lived short, you know, not that far from me for a bit of time in Long Island. And, uh, after Dr. Wayne Dyer passed in his lifetime, I had literally nothing to do with Wayne. Mm. Um, I wasn't a follower of his, but he came to me interdimensionally and told me that he was going to help guide my book. And I just thought, who am I for Wayne to be speaking to me? Mm-hmm. You know, well, shortly after, uh, the woman who wrote my forward, Dr. Sharon Prentice, watched one of my videos and said, I'm going to make you a star, kind of like you know, Justin uh, Timberlake or whatever, Usher with Justin Bieber or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she just saw a video. And 
so happens to be that uh, Wayne mentored her to write her book. And he did this with so many people. I think people focus on the work that he did, but not enough emphasis on the work they did behind the scenes and all the people that he was in their corner for. So just he was just a sacred, endless being of eternal wisdom and grace. Uh, but I also thought he was very funny and humorous and relatable. So outside of a family member, he'd be the guy that I'd probably want to sit on a park bench with. And I could listen to him for hours. And I tried. My ribs would be hurting from laughing so much because he was as as highly connected of a channel he was. He was just very down to earth, too, and very relatable. So he was. He was I, yeah, I actually know knew him personally, and he was very relatable, very kind, um, um, generous. And and I would say had one of the men in in this genre of work that had the most integrity mm-hmm. that I met. Um loved, loved, loved my time with Wayne. Um, So I think that's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Okay, last question, my friend. What message would you like to leave with our audience? That's a tough one. Um, You know, in life, you know, we're taught that truth is in the power of someone outside of ourselves. And, you know, obviously having this experience at the age of three, that put me in a unique position where, It wasn't a parent, it wasn't a teacher, but it was always there. And so I think to remind ourselves that the truth, we don't have to go looking or searching far outside of ourselves. It never left us. It's always there. And I think being able to remember that. And I think so many people try to become something that they're not. And, you know, we always have to try to evolve into this other being that we're not. And my grandfather once had a wonderful saying. He had a high school diploma, came out of nowhere, but opened up a tool shop out of nowhere and was highly successful. And I once asked him, how are you so successful? How, how do you do this? You had no background. And he said, you know what? People don't come to me for what I sell them. They don't come to me for any of this. They come to me for who I am. Mm-hmm. And when I'm being authentic, that's when people come to me. And so I think within this lifetime, it's not about trying to be someone else or something else. We, we're, we're here to be ourselves. And I know at the end of the day, I'm not going to be asked, why weren't you so-and-so? You're going to be asked, why weren't you? And I think in a way, being natural, being authentic, being true to that is ultimately how people will start following us. And, you know, genuineness sticks. And I know you're genuine and need is genuine. And, you know, real recognizes real. So that's Perfect. one or two messages that I have for people. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Awesome, Jacob. Okay, I have a couple of questions. Um, people want to know where what your link is to your live session tonight because they can't find you. Okay. So, um, Am I able to type in the comments? But, um, but You should be uh, able to type in the comment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you would go on my professional page at Jacob Cooper LCSW. Um, I'm going to type this right now, um, multitasking here. <laughs> Forgive me. You don't, you don't have to talk while you type. You go ahead and ta- type and I'll talk. So um, Jacob Cooper LCWS is his Jacob uh, fan Cooper page. LCSW. Um, so yes, Jacob Cooper LCSW, um, I just typed it. And there at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you could join me and bring your open uh, minds. Oh, okay, I got an echo, I'm sorry. LCSW. <laughs> all okay. right, so we're really embodying the off the cuff thing. <laughs> That's all right. But, uh, 7 p.m. tonight Eastern Standard Time, bring your open minds, open hearts, and your burning questions. Uh, but tonight is really about different ways to own your sacred story and to stop stopping you in different ways to do that. So. Beautiful. 
Okay, guys. So yeah, just go out, go into Facebook, type in Jacob, Jacob Cooper, LCSW, and his page will come up. Click on it at seven o'clock Eastern, which means it's four o'clock Pacific time. Um, so there you go, Deborah. You found it. All right, cool. You found it. So yes, yeah, so if you guys want more information, go grab his book again, Life After Breath. Thank you very much, Jacob. It was beautiful. I loved listening to your story, and I know that so many people were touched by um, by what you had to share. So thank you so much, my friend. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. An honor to be in the presence of you all. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Off the Cuff with SDJ. If you gained some knowledge, if you felt a connection, if you got some ahas or insight into this thing we call life, if you feel like you're a little more elevated than you were before you listened to this podcast, then please subscribe to this podcast. And if you're already signed up, please rate and review it. I'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to get more information about me and what I have to offer, go to my website, sunnydonjohnston.com. Thanks so much, my friend, and I hope to see you next week.